Good evening, everybody, and welcome to the Bible Thumper podcast, where somebody's got to say it. My name is Patrick Hayes, and with me today is Daniel Williams, missionary to the Philippines. So we're going to hear about his time working as a missionary over in China and him and his family getting ready to go over to the Philippines. Um, Brother Williams was visiting us at our church last night. He brought his work and showed us what they're going to be doing. He preached a message, and I talked him into coming on to our podcast so we could talk a little bit about uh, what they've done in the past and what they're going to be doing in the future. So, good morning. How are you doing today? Good morning, Patrick. I'm doing well. It's good to be here with you today. Good. We good. enjoyed the services last night and I look forward to this podcast. Great. So, uh, I got to tell you, everyone last night was really interested in uh, what you guys did already because of where you first served as a missionary, and that was in China, which for all of us, I think I have probably a lot of assumptions as to what it's like. Uh, We certainly know that China is a country that's more closed off than other countries. So to hear that you guys, you know, were over there and were working there for a bunch of years, I just learned last night that, you know, Chinese, which impressed me to no end because I can't even master the English language. Uh, So that was something that was pretty spectacular. And now to think that you're going to be learning another language as you go to the Philippines is, you know, pretty wild to me. Can you tell me or just kind of tell us how you got involved with going to China, how it started, uh, who the group was you were going over there with and kind of, you know, what your goals were when you guys were forming that team? Okay. Um, because I'm not currently planning to go back to China, mm-hmm. uh, I'm going to be a little more open about myself. Sure. For other people who may still be trying to be there or be there, I'm going to be a little more circumspect with their names. Absolutely. Uh, because China is a communist country. Mm-hmm. It is not legal for you to be openly a missionary uh, as a foreigner. And there are many, many restrictions on uh, religious activities of their own people and on foreigners as well. Okay. Um, so I'll be a little circumspect with absolutely. A few things. And if there's any subject that I ask questions about that we shouldn't talk about, just let me know and we can skip on to something else. Obviously protecting whatever work is going on over there is a lot more important than, you know, us talking about it here. Absolutely. And you know, that is something that Christians, uh, should be praying for. China is the most populous nation in the world. If we're not praying for China, then we're ignoring oh, like a third of the population almost yeah. of the world. So please pray for China. Uh, pray that the gospel will have free reign. There are many Chinese Christians there. Many of them can trace their roots back to the 1800s and Hudson Taylor. And there is some, there is persecution there that a lot of times is not known publicly, but it is going on. Pastors are arrested, thrown in jail, and even disappear. And nobody hears from them again. And that is mostly happening with Chinese nationals. Is that correct? Yes. For okay. foreigners, they pretty much will just kick you out of the country, blacklist your passport, and you can never re-enter again. Because there there might be repercussions from your host country if an American citizen or a national from some other country that was working over there disappeared. That would be a big deal. Whereas making one of their own people disappear, they're not going to get much blowback. That's correct. Okay. Okay. So uh, how long ago did you start over in China? We went in August of 2004, 
it was my wife and I, and she was pregnant with our first child. Uh, but we were young. We were um, 29 years old mm -hmm. and had graduated from Bible college a, a year or two before that. And so when we went over there, we were um, young and inexperienced, uh, both with family and with ministry, although I had, I had served uh, in other ministries before that. Mm -hmm. Okay. And you guys didn't go over there, just the two of you. You guys went over the church that was sending you, uh, put a team together. Is that correct? Correct. Um, there were about five couples and a couple single folks. Uh, so a total of about 12. And I think there was one infant. Uh, so 13, I believe, was the group that we went over, which uh, was a great advantage. Uh, a lot of times missionaries go to a country and they're in a foreign city and they have no one that they can relate with. I mean, they're out witnessing and maybe they'll even meet Christians, but their culture is very different. A lot of them will be baby Christians. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times missionaries can be on the field and feel very alone. Oh, yeah. So I think we talked about this earlier, but I was actually at a Bible conference at First Baptist Church of Hammond when they made the announcement about the teams that they were putting together and sending out. And I think you told me that the China team had already been in country for maybe a year or two at that time. Right. I was really impressed with the idea. And I kind of had one of those aha moments like, why haven't we been doing this the whole time? You know, like, why do we always send just one family off to another country rather than trying to put together a team of, you know, a dozen people so they have a little bit more support and they can kind of feel like a little bit of home is going over there with them. So I, I thought it was a great idea. Well, I'll mention that um, of the three main factors that bring missionaries off of the field. And mm -hmm. we never want a missionary to come off the field. There's been so much invested in them. Oh yeah. But one of them can be finances. Mm -hmm. um, maybe churches uh, had to cut their support and the missionaries, or maybe the exchange rate went up uh, or changed oh. and they can lose support mm -hmm. just because the exchange rate shifted. So finances is one thing that can cause it. Another one, another big one is medical. Mm -hmm. So many other countries in the world don't have the medical uh, situation that we have here in America. Many of those countries, especially the tropical countries, have diseases that, oh, yeah. um, that, that can attack their bodies. So that's another big one. But number three in the top three is, is the family, the missionary, or the missionary's wife just feeling so alone. Sure. And they say, we, we don't have, yes, we have converts and we're discipling them, mm -hmm. but they're not a peer. I yeah. have no one I can connect with. And it's, yes, we can talk to Jesus, mm -hmm. but we humans often need a human connection. Oh, yeah. And that discouragement and loneliness can, has, brings many a missionary back to the States. So was that the, the goal with the teams was to try to help overcome some of that? Yes, um, that's that's one of the major benefits. Um, another issue is, honestly, a missionary can go there by himself, and even if he's not feeling discouraged or things, it can still take him a long time to build that up by himself. Here in America, you might have a pastor go to a city and start a church, mm -hmm. but often he might have somebody move there with him. Uh, often he'll come across a Christian who's already a solid Christian who who wants to join that church and will assist. On a foreign country, it's so common that you just have nothing but baby Christians. Yeah. 
And so you're, you're trying to build it all your own. Mm -hmm. So when you go over as a team, you can have somebody come over with music skills to help with, with that. You can have a pastor who can preach and lead, but you already have a core of people who can go out soul winning, who can invite people to church and also have that camaraderie and fellowship uh, to ease the loneliness and depression. Yep. Uh, and things. So there are many advantages to a team. Uh, and some, some people will even say, well, that's not biblical or something like that. But you can look, the Apostle Paul had teams of people that he worked with, and he named people in the book of Acts and mm -hmm. throughout the, his epistles of people that he worked with side by side to help build that church and those different churches that were started. Yeah, when you actually read, because we're going through the book of Acts right now in our church, and when you read about Paul going everywhere, it one of the funny things is to really get a good understanding of the book of Acts, you really have to read a lot of the epistles as well because there's little bits of information that you don't is not written down in the book of Acts. But when you read the book of Ephesians also, you find out, wow, he was actually there with quite a few people and he left some behind when he went to another place and, and he sent more people back. And there, there were, there was a lot of support that, that went into that. Uh, now, right. one thing that, that you said, um, I can tell you that any pastor that's starting a work here in America from scratch runs into those same issues and those same struggles and it's difficult. I couldn't imagine adding on top of that another language and a culture that we have nothing in common with. That would be really difficult. It, it only makes sense that we would send missionaries off with just one other family to help would be such a tremendous uh, advantage absolutely when starting to work so uh, really what we need to do is get the numbers up of folks that are willing to uh, give up their life here and, and go somewhere else to to be able to support these missionaries that want to start a work absolutely absolutely it's um, it's there's so many open areas of the world needy areas of the world of course America itself is needy mm -hmm. and there are cities and counties in America that don't have a good gospel preaching church so we would never ignore America, but of course, in, in, the, uh, in the rest of the world, where most of the population is, there are so few churches and so few gospel witnesses, the light of the gospel is very dim in many areas uh, around the world. And so having missionaries who can go out, and especially if they can have a partner who can work with them, even if they just work together for two or three years and then move a couple hours apart, but they can still be close enough to support. I've known folks like that, and that can be such an advantage. Yeah. Okay, so let me ask you this. We, we talked about uh, the idea of, you know, the loneliness and the really the, the struggle of not having someone there and, and the depression you might have to, you know, fight to get over. Let, let's talk about finances. You said that was one of the three reasons that people might come off the field. Okay, what do you see as a weakness in Christianity in America? Why aren't we able to finance uh, missions around the world? What, so I'm a pastor. How am I failing? How are, okay, give it to me. What are we doing wrong that we need to change to make this thing happen? How do we overcome this? Um, several points. Uh, mm -hmm. One is um, sometimes pastors and churches or mission pastors or whatever will have an idea that 
you know, we have this limited budget. Mm -hmm. And so instead of supporting 10 missionaries at a, at a good amount, mm -hmm. I want to support 50 missionaries at a very low amount. Give me an idea when you say good amount and low amount, because everyone needs to right. hear this. Well, I'll say uh, the Go ahead. common average in today yeah. is, a, is the, the, the median, mm -hmm. I guess I'll say, um, is probably closer to $100. Okay. Now, there are some areas in the country that may maybe their economy is a little lower, mm -hmm. and they, they may still be closer to $50, and that's per month supporting a missionary. Unfortunately, with the way the inflation and the way the world is, um, $50 just doesn't go as far as it used to. Yeah. And the other issue is that small church with limited people may be supporting 50 different missionaries, but there's very little connection mm -hmm. because they don't have the, uh, the, the missions group to send them a birthday card or send yeah. them a, we're just thinking about you card and yeah. missionaries really, uh, I don't know if I want to say need those things, but it, it's, it's such a blessing to know that, oh, that church does remember us. Yeah. And unfortunately, there's sometimes churches who want to, you know, they want to put a map on the wall and put 50 pins on the map and, and say, we're supporting all these missionaries. And when you look at it, they're supporting them at such a low amount that even the transaction fees are canceling out a lot of that. And it, it's just... It, Let me ask you this. Can we say they're not supporting those 50 well, meaning there's more we could be doing because if you, if you support 10 instead of 50, you can give them an amount that's greater and you can also focus. Cause I'm thinking when I'm, when you say 50, I'm thinking I can't, I wouldn't even be able to remember 50 people and try to remember to pray for them all and who their kids are and, and all exactly. these things. And if we have a lower amount, we can support them for more money. We can also, it would be easier to remember, okay, I can pray through 10 names every week. I can pray for 10 families. I can pray for, and I can keep up with the birthday cards and the anniversary and, you know, a special gift for, for whatever comes up. It, am I getting that right? Exactly. And it's more the matter of connection. Mm -hmm. uh, and even from the missionary side, you know, if they have 100 churches supporting them as opposed to 30 churches supporting them, you know, my family has decided that every single church that we've been in since we started a deputation, whether they support us or not, that we're going to, we're going to be praying for them mm -hmm. uh, all the way throughout the, the rest of our deputation and probably on into the future, you know, and we're happy to do that. But at some point the number becomes high enough that you're, you're, you're like, I'm praying for this church and maybe I've got the pastor's name, but I don't really remember very many of the people. And that's, sure. that's unfortunate because we are a partner. Yeah. The, mission, the missionary is a, is supposed to be a partner mm -hmm. with the sending church. And of course, uh, very few churches could afford to send out a missionary on their own. I do know of, uh, of a few churches. Uh, so generally speaking, a, a missionary is going to need, uh, you know, 20 churches or, uh, you know, 20 to a hundred churches supporting them, uh, at the minimum. Uh, and so that's something that, um, you know, it's the logistics side of having so many. Now, again, a church, and I want to be careful, churches need to keep missions in front of their people. Mm -hmm. It's very clear in the Gospels. It's very clear in the Great Commission. And so if a church gets to a point where they're supporting the, the, the amount of missionaries that they feel that they can, I, I still would highly encourage churches to have missionaries in. 
Mm -hmm. You can be upfront with the missionary and say, we're not currently going to be able to add you. We would love to. And if the Lord blesses in the future, we may consider that. But I want to keep missions in front of the people. Mm -hmm. And so I want to, uh, I can remember my home church when I grew up as a boy, we constantly had missionaries coming through. And me as a young boy, seeing those pictures of faraway lands. And of course, this was back in the 80s. And, you know, we didn't have internet and we didn't have the connections that we have today with social mm -hmm. media and such. But just seeing those pictures of faraway lands and shaking the hand of a missionary who had witnessed to that native in South America and told me a story about that it was so precious to me as a young boy and, and just put a fire in my heart of, yes, we Christians have a, have a duty and a responsibility, yes, to our local area, but also around the world. So I would, again, encourage uh, pastors to keep missions in front of the people and in front of the church, even if they get to a point where they are not going to financially going to be able to support every missionary that they can. Okay. That's a great point. Cause I never would have thought of that. I mean that, you know, that's news to me and just being upfront with the missionaries is great. You just tell them, look, here's where we're at. And you're saying that you as a missionary and folks that you know would still be happy to come and show your work, you know, and, and let me just, let me just tell you everyone that's listening to this. I, as a pastor would encourage, uh, you still need to take care of the missionaries. You need to give them a great love offering. You need to make their time comfortable and make them feel welcome. They're on the road. They have a hard life. And I always try to encourage everyone, you know, dig deep and let's, let these folks know that they're welcome and we appreciate them. Uh, and obviously that's going to help them a lot on their deputation. But uh, that's a great idea to still try to have a couple missionaries every year come through. So that way it's always on our mind that there is a world out there greater than, you know, the state that I live in and there are lost folks out there and I need to keep that in mind. Absolutely. Absolutely. And if the pastor is up front with the missionary, mm -hmm. I, I respect that. Yeah. And a lot of times a missionary, they're trying to get from point A to point B mm -hmm. and they've got an empty service in between. Sure. And even if, if, if that church might not be able to take them on, if they could help them out with a love offering, help pay for gas. Of course, we know the price of gas is <laughs> outrageous right now. Yeah. And, uh, you know, just, just paying for two tanks of gas to get from point A to point B you know, that's got to come out from somewhere. Yeah. And if a church can assist a missionary along the way, just for that, just for that uh, one month, mm -hmm. you know, that can still be a great blessing. And many missionaries will still love to be able to come and present. Okay. Uh, deputation itself is a ministry. I did not understand this before. Uh, uh, and we might go back to it, but when we went to China, we did not go on deputation because the danger of being found out and being oh. pre-blacklisted by the Chinese government was too great. So if you were at all these churches and you were on their Facebook pages and you they you were on the radio and all these things, you could actually get banned before you even go to the country. Right. And wow. I, I know of missionaries who have done that. They got a little too visible. Yep. And they went, they had all their support raised and they were ready to go and they applied for their visa. And the people looked at them and said, no. Wow. We know why you're coming and we don't want you. <laughs> and so, but for us now going to the Philippines, mm -hmm. this deputation is, is new for me. Even though I'm a quote veteran missionary, the deputation was new to me. And now that we've been on the road for 15 months, I have learned, I had already been told this, but I learned that deputation itself is a ministry. And we're, we're, 
going around to churches, yes, to raise support for ours and to find uh, for our ministry and also to find the churches who want to partner with us. But again, there have been churches we're at that probably are not going to support us uh, either for many different reasons, often financial reasons. But I know that when we left that church, God had us there so that me or my wife or my family could be a blessing to either the pastor, the pastor's wife, maybe the pastor's children, maybe some individual in that church. And we weren't there for us. Mm -hmm. We were there for them. Yeah. And, and that's deputation itself is a ministry. Yeah. And it, it, it's been a blessing. It's hard uh, with being on the road and traveling a lot, but it also has brings its own blessings. Yeah. And let me tell you, as a pastor of a pretty new and small church, anytime we have a guest preacher come, it is a shot in the arm for me. And I can tell you, it's a help to any pastor to get to hear some good preaching, get to meet a family that is encouraging, that loves the Lord, that's serious about doing the work of the Lord. It really is a huge encouragement to the pastor of whatever church the missionary or any guest preacher goes to. So believe me, just in the little bit of time that we got to spend together yesterday and this morning for breakfast, you know, I can tell you God's already used you to touch my heart, you know, and put pressure on areas where it's like, okay, this is something we need to do this, you know, so I, I can tell you everything you just said is absolutely true. And it's great to think that that's going on at churches all over America as these missionaries are going around on deputation. And I would hope that all the pastors that have them there would sit in the pew and have a soft heart and hope that God is going to speak to them. Cause you know, as the guy that has to get up and give the message every week, you don't get to sit under preaching as much as you'd like. You got to listen to it on the radio or listen to a podcast right. or go to a conference every once in so often, but you just don't get to be under it that much. So it, it, it you're, you hit the nail on the head. It absolutely is, you know, uh, a ministry that helps, um, the, the leadership of the churches that you're in, you know, and all those people, let me ask you a question. Should we be sending our missionaries an email once a month to let them know what's going on at our church? I think any communication mm -hmm. uh, between the church and the missionary is a good thing. Mm -hmm. um, I do understand that people can get overwhelmed. Sure. Uh, and again, I kind of go back to that number. If a small church is supporting a, a lot of missionaries, they're not going to be able to spend the time reading the missionary prayer letters mm -hmm. to, to stay connected. And the reverse is, is somewhat true, but um, as long as it's personalized mm -hmm. uh, in some way, um, I think that missionaries would love to know what's going on and be encouraged uh, by blessings and even you know, know about some prayer needs. Now, if every single letter is, Pray for these seventy-five people who have sick sure. or who have cancer. <laughs> yeah, and that's just—they're just sending a prayer list. Of, yeah, of I don't want to just negative things. Yeah. and spiritual attacks. You know, you, you want to pump them up, sure. not deflate them. Yeah, uh, but I, so I, some prayer needs would would be good. Yeah, but if that's the focus, is we're just going to send our prayer list over there uh, and ask them to pray for it. That 
that may not be as encouraging as the church would hope. No, I totally get it. I was th- so last Friday night, our service, we had a first time visitor. Um, we were here, I think we were here to like almost 11 o'clock and we were chit chatting. And, uh, during the, uh, the, uh, the talking, you know, she brought up how she was concerned that she wasn't saved. And we, we said, well, great, let's talk about that. And we got out the Bible and we led her to the Lord and got on her knees right on the deck and she got saved. So for me, I was just thinking, well, after that, we even took a picture together and said, hey, this is great. You know, so, uh, th- that would be something put in the little, you know, email saying, hey, this is what's going on over here. You know, we're praying for you guys. We just saw someone saved. Here's a little update on us. You know, because they send us a letter every month or two or I mean, we have some missionaries that get one out like every six months. <laughs> but either way, I thought, uh, to, like you said, for communication to stay in touch so that there can be a relationship rather than them feeling like they're just sending off a letter to the guy that's sending off a check. Absolutely. And yeah. even you go back to Acts, mm-hmm. Apostle Paul and other people were obviously writing each other regularly. Yeah. And in today's day with email and such like that, mm-hmm. you know, that's a tool that we can use. And I think that could be a tool used for encouragement for mm-hmm. the missionaries. Yeah. Okay. So now, uh, let me ask you this. You guys, uh, are now at a different stage. You're getting ready to go to the Philippines. Tell us a little bit about the Philippines, why you chose it and where you're going to be going when you get there. Well, throughout my life, uh, really going back to, uh, my decision to go to Bible college, I have been, uh, and this is just me. I mm-hmm. realize every Christian's different, but I've been very open and flexible to, to God's leading and, and all Christians should be, but, um, you know, I, I've never had Jesus walk through the door and walk up to me and say, Daniel, I want you to go to the Philippines. Um, but he has put things in my life mm-hmm. and leaders in my life to, to mention, Hey, there's opportunities here. Why don't you pray about it? And that's what happened to me when we came back from China in 2010, we had some medical things that we had to work through that took many years. And we had some other life issues that we had to work through that took some time. And God kind of put us in a, in a, like a airplane holding pattern. Okay. Like, you know, I, I knew that God had missions for me because he had showed me that clearly in the spring of 98 on a missions trip to Guatemala. And so I'm back in the States. I'm attending a faithfully attending a good gospel preaching uh, church and participating in, in soul winning and different things. But I was working a secular job and I knew that that was not where God had called me to, but it was where God needed me to be for that time period. Mm-hmm. So in uh, 2018, really the end of 2017, God really just, it was just um, the book of Jeremiah talks about his word was in me as a burning fire. Mm-hmm. I couldn't hold it. it. It was a little similar to that. There was just something burning my heart saying, Daniel, it, it, you've been in the holding pattern long enough. Mm-hmm. It's time for us to take off or land or do something. And so I prayed constantly. And I went to seek counsel with godly men that I felt I could trust. Uh, one of them was my, my pastor. And, you know, church members should feel that they can talk to their pastor. I mean, that's a major life decision. Oh, yeah. And if you can't include your pastor, then, then maybe 
you're not in the right place. Mm -hmm. uh, because pastors all throughout the, the Bible, the book of Proverbs, it's all throughout the Bible, you know, surround yourself with, with wise counselors. And your pastor should be on your board of counselors. And so uh, we were considering going back to China, uh, but unfortunately there, there, there's a, many of those doors going into China have been closed. And, um, but uh, my pastor pointed out and said, why don't you think about and pray about the Philippines? Mm -hmm. And so I did. And we prayed about it for several months. And uh, I said, you know what? I think this could be what God has for us. And so my wife and I took a trip over there and visited. And went, while we were there, God kind of sealed that decision saying, you know what? This is where I want you to be. And looking back on it, God had set up things in my past to prepare me for the Philippines, even when I didn't know that that's where I was going to go. Uh, my wife is Philippine, so I've been around that culture now for 20 years. Mm -hmm. And while we were in China, I pastored a, a uh, international church that was mostly Filipino. It was really a Filipino church there in China alongside of our Chinese ministry. And so God had set up those things in our life to prepare us for this future of going to the Philippines. Before we go any further, I know we have some listeners that are going to want to get your take on this. During that six-year period, when you called it the holding pattern, were there times when you were concerned or disappointed or down I can't imagine that would be easy. And one of the reasons I'm bringing this up is because I went through something very similar where our family didn't really know what we were supposed to be doing and what God had for us. And I know several Christians that are going through that now where they were a pastor and they had to step down because their family had health issues or financial issues. Things came up where they weren't able to do what they felt called to do. And I think that can be a really difficult time to go through because you, you know what God told you in the beginning. That part was clear. Was, was that a struggle? Was there anything that you, you found that helped through those years of not knowing? For me personally, it was not as large of a struggle as I know that for others it is. Um, our main issue was, was a medical situation. And I knew that we had to get past it. Mm -hmm. So I could sort of say to myself and to my wife and to our family, we're not going anywhere until this is solved. So I didn't even have to revisit that decision because I knew that this problem had to be solved before I could go anywhere. And so for, uh, for several years, you know, I could just tr rest in God and work my job, attend church faithfully, and just say, God, I'm not thrilled about this holding <laughs> pattern, Sure, but I already know that there will be an end one day. Mm -hmm. And when I reach that end, then at that point, God, you and I are going to be serious with each other, and, and you're going to tell me what, where I'm going. But I didn't, I didn't focus on what am I doing after. Mm -hmm. I focused more on being faithful, you know, giving out the gospel and just doing what I was supposed to do for that time. And um, th that's kind of my personality more. I'm going to continue doing what I'm, what I'm doing until God changes me or 
And many times God has used godly leadership and godly counselors to kind of poke me and say, okay, Daniel, you've done this long enough. Let's, let's, it's time for you to, to move into another area. And I'm thank, I'm so thankful to God for those godly counselors that he's put in me. And I just, and, and, you know, I don't know how others, I know that, uh, you know, sometimes my wife can struggle with this a little bit, but I just, I just trust and I just rest in God. And uh, it's just been, uh, yes, I have stress in other areas of life, but sure. that's not something that, that I stress, that I've, that I've had to stress out a lot. Well, and one thing you said is something we could all really take away as a help. And that is while you were in that holding pattern, and let's face it, none of us know the future. You did know what God expected of you as a husband, a father, and a Christian. Right. And you did those things right. while you were in the holding pattern. And I think that is a great principle for all of us because sometimes if Christians hit what we might call or feel like is a setback, even though it might be exactly what God's plan was, it's easy for some folks to want to give up, drag their feet, you know, not have some kind of resistance to just what they're supposed to be doing. And really that might even be part of it. God is checking on us to see how we respond to this issue, this time out for whatever reason to see, okay, this is great. This guy continued to do what a Christian husband and father is supposed to do. And now it's time to open up the door and get them on to phase two. And there are other folks that as soon as a break comes into what their plan was and what they thought God wanted, uh, they might fade away a little bit. And in doing that, really we're showing God that we're unfaithful with the little things. So how can he you know, give us the true riches. Right. And I will say the first two years that we came back to China, mm -hmm. my wife and I did go through a period of, uh, I guess I'll call it depression. Absolutely. Just, you know, we, we had felt that we were going to be there the rest of our lives. Yep. And you know, there was some questioning God, like why God, why have you brought this medical situation? And that's, our that's a normal we reaction. You. Sure. That's, that's a normal reaction. There's nothing in the Bible that says we're not allowed to ask God questions. Right. Right. Yeah. And so we, we kind of went through that for a couple of years, but mm -hmm. we, we stayed faithful. Yep. Even, even if there were weeks where maybe I was, I was kind of a robot going through the motions. Oh yeah. And that's one Wait, thing. Wait, you've been a robot just going through the motions. Well, I had no idea that this kind of Christian was coming on my podcast. This is unacceptable. Well, <laughs> it's, uh, you know, we've all been there. Every one of us we're humans. Right. Yeah. And it the makes main sense. thing is to keep going. Yes. Because if you if you stop and you let Satan stop you, or mm -hmm. you let these circumstances of life stop you, mm -hmm. and you and you get irritated with God or angry with God, yeah. or, or depressed or whatever, and you just say, "Well, fine, I'm out," and you get out of your habit of going to church, and you mm -hmm. get out of your habit of of being that light to the world and sharing the gospel and, 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 and you get out of spending that time with God, with your Bible reading and prayer and just living the Christian life. Mm -hmm. If you get out of that, some of those people never get back in yeah. or they get back in later, but it derailed their children mm -hmm. or people around them. That's and, a good point. And I would highly advise people 
when when you when that obstacle when that holding pattern when that situation comes into your life that you want that it just feels like you you're banging your head against a wall or something trust god but continue doing what you know is right and do not get i mean if you you know for example let's say that you either moved or you had a situation and you had to leave your church. Mm -hmm. You get back into church as soon as possible. You find the place that God has for you and you jump in and you don't sit out for nine or 10 or 12 months uh, or years even just saying, well, you know, God or this church did this to me. And, and so I'm just kind of, kind of just wait. And, and that's not good. And we've all, we all know people who have gone through that and we've seen folks on the other side who, have been faithful, and they realized, you know what? I know for a fact God loves me. I know for a fact God has a plan for me, so I'm going to continue being faithful to God and doing what I know he wants, and they always come out on the other side in a good place. And we all know some folks who have done exactly what you said for whatever reason. They took it as a reason or an opportunity or an excuse to stop doing the things that they knew were right in their life with the, between you know them and God they weren't reading their bible they weren't praying they weren't going to church they weren't you know they weren't living the christian life and then because of that even if mom and dad realize after 6 months or a year or 2 years you know what God is really moving to my heart and I need to get back on the stick and and get back to where I was and that's great you still have those kids that for several years were missing out on God in their life and them growing as a Christian. And it's really a shame. You know, they're the ones that are really going to suffer. And and you see that. And, and my wife and I, we have several friends that we love dearly, and we've seen both sides. And you wish there was a button you could push to get these folks to see, you know, whatever happened in your life, God wants a relationship with you. God still loves you. God right. still has a purpose for you. And it's so it's so discouraging when you see people uh, fall away. And then, you know, they come back 10 years later, but their kids don't care much about God. Their grandkids surely don't. It's just such a shame. Anyway, we, we got off into the weeds there a little bit. Okay, so, but that was great. I really appreciate you answering those questions. So uh, you're at the... Uh, the end of this, you were working a job, you got through uh, the medical issue, your family is now uh, feeling like God is telling you, okay, here we go, and uh, you were praying about it, you're talking with your pastor, and then you got the feeling that you were supposed to go to the Philippines. Right. Okay. So that was in uh, the summer of 2019, mm -hmm. and of course, I'm still working my job, I still have bills to pay and things like that, and... I knew that I needed to financially, I wasn't quite in a financial position to be able to start deputation. Mm -hmm. I knew that I would need to start deputation. So it was probably about six months later when um, in March of 2020, when I actually quit my secular job, I was in a financially good situation. I said, I'm going to quit my job. We transitioned the children into homeschooling because we knew we'd be traveling on the road and such. And, um, you know, just a couple weeks after I quit my job, suddenly the country gets locked down. Oh, yeah, 2020. And, that yeah, was great. And we don't want to, <laughs> it's, uh, it seems like we've, uh, I don't know, it seems like we've dealt so much with COVID, but mm -hmm. 
you know, I'm trying to call churches. Oh yeah. And churches aren't even open and they're like, yeah. call back next year. Or, the churches know. are thinking Williams family, super spreader event. Exactly. <laughs> You're going to travel the country and bringing COVID to everybody. <laughs> so it was uh, 2020 was a kind of a disaster, but yeah. but God still worked in our lives and we had, he had other things for us to do. Mm-hmm. And we, we did those other things. And, uh, Finally, in 2021, pastors started answering the phone and getting calls back, and, <laughs> and and so I finally was able to schedule meetings, and we started deputation in March of 2021, Okay, about one year after, mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, it, was, it was just, again, that 12 months was so surreal and, and things, but we've been now on the road now for 15 months, and we're now around 55% of the support needed that we, uh, that we need. And we're hoping um, we have some other churches that uh, probably will take us on for support that just haven't started yet. So we may be actually over 60% um, with churches we've already visited. Uh, So we're hoping uh, to be able to finish up our deputation uh, by next summer, um, maybe around August or so of next year to be able to go to the Philippines. And I mentioned earlier about the God prepared us for it. My wife and children all have dual citizenship. So I, they will not even need to get visas. And then because my wife is a citizen of the Philippines, uh, I'll be able to get basically the easiest visa to get into the Philippines. Uh, so that's again, another small thing that God set up in our life to prepare us for that future. Okay, so tell us what your plan is when you're getting over to the Philippines, because it's a little different than what you'd think of as your traditional missionary going to another country. And I think everyone's going to want to hear about what you guys are going to be doing over there. Okay. Uh, would you like me to talk about what uh, traditional is a little bit? or? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Start there, wherever you like. That, But that's probably a good idea, because right. there are going to be folks that are, are ignorant of what we're talking about. Okay. It seems when I study church history that Mm -hmm. in the the 60s, 70s, and 80s, and even into the 90s, that many of your, quote, traditional missionaries would would raise support. It would be them and their wife alone and any children. And then they would go to a foreign country, and then they would uh, start a church in a city, and they would be there four to five years. And during that period of time, uh, the pastor would have, uh, you know, most likely it'd be a brand new convert that he won to the Lord, uh, a young man usually, and he would uh, train that 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 native person, native to that country, to be able to take over that church and become the pastor. Uh, then often the the, the uh, missionary would come back to the uh, America, report to churches, maybe take six months or even a year off, and then go back out. And when he would go back out. He would go to a different city and repeat the process. So start another church from scratch at a city down the road an hour or what or whatever. That's the idea. Somewhere in the country. Okay. And, you know, he would probably have some communication with those churches that he had already started. But mm-hmm. if a missionary lasted 40 years, and the average is far less than that, mm-hmm. but if a missionary lasted 40 years and if that missionary uh, was able to start a church every five years, you know, then at the end of that time, then that missionary would have been responsible for starting around eight churches. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and that's, that's great. Sure. Yeah. I Glory mean, to God. Um, but, 
there, there's a philosophy that you can find in the Bible and you can find in the 1800s mm-hmm. and you, you know, Hudson Taylor, uh, Nate Saint and Jim Elliott in the, in the Amazon back in the 1950s, there are, um, groups of missionaries who have gone out not as an individual missionary, yeah. but as a group. And we referenced that earlier in the podcast, some of the advantages uh, but even in the in the Bible, you know, there were times that the Apostle Paul and others had groups of people with them working together. And so one of the advantages to that is a group can start a work and use that as a, um, a, a stepping stone. I use it as a foundation. They can build a Bible college. You know, a lot of times a pastor who's in his own individual church by himself He's just not going to have the time or energy to train more than one to four people, mm-hmm. you know, over a course of five years. He's just, he's not going to have the time or energy where if you have a group and some people can be focused on running the church and some people can be focused on training nationals and for example, start a Bible college, then, you know, after it, it might take a little more build up. you might even take the first 10 years uh, and only have one or two graduates or something possibly because there's a buildup. But once it's established, once it's moving and, and shaking, you know, if you have two or three or five or 10 graduates every year that are ready to go out and start churches and they've had that training, then 40 years down the road, you can have, you know, 50, 50 churches started or more. And that's a very conservative number. Um, and so that's what we're doing. There's a missionary there in the Philippines. Uh, it's just him and his wife. And then there's another single missionary there, an older man working with them that helps run the Bible college. They have a Bible college there. And so I'm planning on going to the Philippines and I'm planning on assisting them with the Bible college, training those nationals. They've already had graduates. Uh, it's already established. And I'll be able to work with them to train those nationals. You know, instead of training one national every five years, if I can train even just five nationals, and, and hopefully the number is far greater, but even if it was only five five grad, five grad uh, natives every five years, mm-hmm. you know, that, that number can be more exponential and be more multiplied rather than just using simple addition. And then once those churches are started and they see people saved and their church grows, they can take the folks that have a desire and God's touched their heart, they can send them to the Bible college or the Institute. And all of a sudden you're really exponentially growing. Exactly. You're hitting a curve where you're getting a lot more done than just trying to do the whole, whole thing yourself where you get one uh, church started. And then five years later you start another one. Right. I, I mean, the math makes sense. That's, that's easy to see. And I know of teams in different countries. Uh, I know of a team in Brazil, one mm-hmm. in Peru, one in Ghana and other parts of the world, one in Nigeria, uh, and different parts of the world where they have done this and we've already see it work. Okay. So and this isn't a new idea. You guys are starting. This is something that has been in process and you've seen it. You, so there's experience with it. Absolutely. Okay. Well, that's wonderful. So now uh, I had a question for you. Your uh, your wife, you said, was born in the Philippines? Correct. Does she still have family over there? Do you guys know anyone? So you know? she has uh, distant relatives, kind of like cousins okay. uh, and a few aunts and uncles. And then after that, it's mostly second cousins and stuff. Um, 
So she has some of that. Most of her immediate family has all moved to America. Okay. Uh, and then we have, from our time in China, we have Filipino converts from that Filipino church, which um, I'll just mention this briefly. Mm-hmm. When we left China, that church had been, that international church had been established for two and a half years. And God uh, moved on my heart to, for one of the Filipino men that I had been mentoring. He had been saved in the Philippines, but he was basically a baby Christian. Yeah. And I had mentored him for two and a half years, and he actually did become the pastor of that international church. No and kidding. he continued that for about another 10 and a half years until COVID happened, and, yeah. and basically they were asked to leave. And so that work did continue. Well, guess what? He's back in the Philippines, and he's still a soul winner. No and kidding. And he's still seeing people saved, and he's part of a good, good church. And others that we worked with, they are in the Philippines, kind of scattered around all of, I mean, the Philippines has uh, over 2,000 inhabited islands. Wow. And uh, so, yes, we do have contacts. Uh, the city that we're going to that has the Bible college, uh, none of our contacts that we already have live in that city, but there are some that live uh, three or four hours away. Okay. And so once we get there, get established, I hope to spend some time going to visit my wife's home island where she was raised and get to witness to some of her relatives and then also to visit some of the other, our old converts from the Philippines uh, who are still faithful, but just to show up and encourage them and, and things. And it's an encouragement to me mm-hmm. when, when I see their social media posts and they say, Oh, I just witnessed to these people. And I'm like, wow, that was one of my converts. And that, that fruit from that time in China is still being produced and reproduced. Mm-hmm. And that's what we want as Christians. We want that fruit that remains, that, that <laughs> remains and reproduces. Yeah. So, uh, going in a different direction here, you guys have four kids, uh, right. from the ages of 17 down to, was it 12, 11. 13, 11. Okay. Um, how do the kids, respond to the idea that we are packing up and moving to another country. Now you started in China, your wife was expecting. So the first kid was born on the mission field, Correct. but obviously probably doesn't remember too much of those first couple of years, you know, until right. they get older, but you've been here in the States for a little while and now you guys are getting ready to go. How generally, how do the kids respond? They have been um, positive. I, I definitely would not claim to uh, be a perfect parent. Oh, yeah. But my wife and I have done our best, I, I think, in many ways to teach them to be um, flexible to God's will. And if God's will is sending our family to a foreign country, then it's okay mm-hmm. because we still have God and we still have our family. There is some, you know, especially the older ones, they kind of miss their, they were in a Christian school with, oh, yeah. with good uh, sports programs and activities and, and they miss their friends from school. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they do miss that. But I thank the Lord that, that our children have, have had, generally speaking, a good attitude and a flexible attitude towards the will of God, because they know that, that daddy ultimately, but mommy and daddy together are leading them. Uh, in God's will, and they they have a trust that mommy and daddy are going to lead them right. Mm-hmm. And so, generally speaking, you know, other than an occasional like, oh, I wish we could be there for this activity, sure, you know, um, 
they've been, they've had a very good attitude, and I thank the Lord for that. Yeah, no kidding. It makes a big difference when everyone is on the same page and you know everyone's going in the same direction. So, are you currently trying to learn the Filipino national language? Not yet. Um, now, one interesting thing about the Philippines, and people mm-hmm. probably don't know this, but the Philippines has um, dozens and possibly a hundred different dialects. And, and when I say dialect, it really, they're different languages because you yeah. can't just speak one dialect to another person. They're that different. Under, they're that different. Great. They might share a few <laughs> words that are the same, but but generally speaking, they don't. Now, my wife speaks the main Filipino language, it's called Tagalog, and it is spoken on the island of Luzon and in the city of Manila. And so that and that's is the their, capital city? That's the capital of okay. the Philippines. And so that language for, for many years has been considered to be the trade language of the Philippines. So most Filipinos, they would speak their own language, maybe Ilongo, Ilocano, Cebuano. They have all these different languages. Um, and they would also learn Tagalog in school so that when they would travel to these other 2,000 islands, they all had then something they could in still common. Communicate. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, one thing that's interesting, uh, and that was the case really up until about 30 years ago, but what has happened is the Filipinos are learning English starting in first grade. How long and has that been going on? Probably since about the 60s. Oh wow. Uh, okay. Maybe 70s. It's been a, a it's been a, a pretty good while, mm-hmm. and um, so. They have actually replaced the Tagalog in many ways from their education, unless you're on uh, in Manila or mm-hmm. in Luzon, and they've replaced it with English. So when we visited uh, just recently in 2019, uh, my wife was trying to speak the trade language, Tagalog, and the people were saying, no, 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 just speak English. Oh, they wanted to practice? No, no, no. They just didn't understand her. No kidding. So the trade language of the Philippines in many areas has just flat shifted to English. Mm-hmm. And so even when I visited in 2000 and then again also in 2019, I was able to speak and witness and communicate with anybody that was at 10 years age or older mm-hmm. in English. So that's an advantage, um, but it's a, <laughs> it's a two-edged sword. So when we get to the Philippines, I could literally fly in on Friday and I could preach in a church service on Sunday in English, no and kidding. The people, you know, maybe some of the very young or the very mm-hmm. old would have some difficulties, but generally speaking, you know, ten to seventy years old or whatever, they're going to understand English and be able to speak and communicate. They will have an accent, sure, because they 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 speak their native language until they go to first grade mm-hmm. uh, in the home. So they will generally speaking always have an accent. Uh, but they will, I will be able to communicate. And that's a blessing uh, to be able to do that. Now, one of my goals for the future is to learn that language because there will be some people who you, you, you really won't be able to reach their heart unless you speak to them in their first tongue. Mm. Uh, but for the most part, you know, I've witnessed to children, I've witnessed to teenagers, I've spoken with college students, I've spoken with adults, and I've really never had a problem with the with communication. They might not understand all of the idioms or, sure. or, or all of the jargon words. Some subtleties. But normal conversation, they, they don't have a problem. And most 
Filipinos. This is interesting. Mm -hmm. And my wife included. I mean, she came to America when she was 14. But they read English far better Mm. than Tagalog. Okay. And if, you know, and just this is what my wife says. I said, why don't I get you a a bilingual, you know, English? And she's like, I don't don't understand the Tagalog. Those words are old and I, I just don't understand it. She's like, nope, I just want my English. Wow. So that's an advantage. Oh, that's a huge advantage. For sure. Especially that is going to be so nice for your kids to be able to show up and to be able to make relationships with other kids. Exactly. Even though kids pick up foreign languages usually way faster than the adults do, that's still wonderful that they'll be able to go right over there and kind of hit the ground running to some extent. Right, for sure. That ability to communicate it, it will be such a blessing. Yeah. Is there anything uh, you want to add or any kind of message you want to tell everyone that's listening before we um, sign off? Um, I just wanted to say thank you for this time and thank you for having us at the, at the church last night. It was a blessing uh, to be able to be there. And I already mentioned this to you, mm-hmm. but when we were in China, you know, most of our uh, church meetings uh, were in a home. And what we had last night was just so special and just brought back so many memories. Having a meal uh, before the church service in the evening and then having a, a service right there in the home, sitting on couches and just you're all a few feet away from each other. You know, sometimes you go to a church and nobody sits in the first seven rows. And, yeah. And you're like, <laughs> you're like hey, out there. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, just having people up close where you could see their faces and see their interaction, that was a blessing for me. And, mm-hmm. and it just brought back those warm memories of that, of God's bl- hand of blessing on us when we were there in China in those house churches. Yeah. And um, I just want to encourage folks, if, if you don't know much about missions, and you don't, you don't understand it, you know, look at the Great Commission. Look at the last chapter of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and then the first chapter of Acts. And it's, there's, there's powerful verses in there. You know, Jesus wants every Christian to be involved in propagating the gospel, whether you're here locally or whether you're around the world in China or the Philippines or Africa or South America or wherever. You, you and me need to be faithful to Christ and in giving out the gospel wherever we are. Well, I want to let everybody know that you can go to fbmi.org, that's Fundamental Baptist Missions International, and you'll be able to find the Williams family on there, and you can get in touch with them and get their information and see uh, about where they're going and what they're doing. Uh, So please be sure to visit that. I put it up in the comments on the Facebook and YouTube channel where we're live on right now. And if you're watching one of those videos, please find us on Spotify or Google Play or Apple Podcasts, wherever you listen to your podcasts. And you can listen to this episode and you can share it with some friends and uh, we can all learn a little bit more about missions. And uh, thank you so much for coming and being on here. Uh, Every time we have uh, a missionary come on here and um, uh, be our guest on the podcast, we always get lots and lots of compliments over the next week or two. Everyone loves it. It's, uh, It's refreshing to hear. Uh, So uh, please, everybody, uh, keep the Williams family in your prayers as they are finishing up their deputation and getting ready to go over to the Philippines. So uh, thank you again for joining us, and we will see you uh, next week. Have a good uh, week, everybody. God bless.